Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are definitely true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Hey, it's Jeremy with the Rumors Are True podcast. Um, thanks for joining in today. On this latest episode, I welcome Colin Kimball from uh, the band Acidies Burn. He's a former guitar player and bass player from the, that band. Um, we talk about a lot of cool stories of the past um, and the recording of uh, the records Sun I Love You at Your Darkest, as well as Come Now Sleep and Hell or High Water. So it's just really cool to see his perspective on the past and kind of what uh, he's up to now um, and how successful uh, he's been in his career. So it's really cool to uh, reconnect and get to talk to a, a good old buddy I haven't, haven't talked to in a long time. So I really appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, hope you enjoy this latest episode with Colin Kimball. What up, baby boy? <laughs> how you living, man? Good, man. How are you living? It's been so long. It's been a minute. It uh, has. Tell me what's up, man. What have you been up to? I'm having a snowstorm in Salt Lake right here uh, at my office. Um, it's been a wild year, and I don't know if you want to go into the details of my wild year, but five kids, 14 down to four. Good Lord. Working a job, moving around too, too much, and uh, living in Salt Lake City, dude. Man, Salt Lake City, I've never been there. Is it, a, is it a badass? So it's an acquired taste. I feel like it's niche and nuanced because we moved here. So I, I moved here straight from Baton Rouge, which was where As Cities Burn started. And, like, we were, like, the guys there, right? Like, everyone us. Um, we had a ton of great friends. A ton of great bands were there. So moving here where no one knows me from Adam, like no one has any clue who we are, anything, was just, it's a super slowdown. So I, when I moved here, it was weird because uh, the pace was too slow and I wanted to get out quick. But baby number two was on the way. Um, it's clean and safe here. And I started skiing and mountain biking and doing like what you do here. And uh, I don't think I'll leave unless I have to at this point. That's pretty awesome. You like the cold weather? Dude, it's not that cold here, straight up. Really? So the summers are warm. It's like desert. And so like like today it's 35 degrees. It's snowing in the mountains, but kind of not down here. Um, and it's really mild. So like I, I lived in Chicago when I was a kid in Kansas. And those like low level, you've been, in, you used to live in Kansas. Yeah. Wait, you lived in Kansas? Yeah, I lived in Oakland Park. Oh, I didn't realize that. Dude, I love Kansas City. Those like those low lying where like the wind comes through and it's like below zero. Like we don't deal with that here because of the mountains. Yeah, it's like 
pretty mild. And so we love it, man. That's awesome. So what are you doing now in Salt Lake work-wise? So I work for a software company. So I started, it's uh, again, another long story. I moved out. So I went, dude, after As Cities Burn, I went into law enforcement. So I have a degree in psychology that I uh, secured when we were, um, is my internet good enough? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Perfect. Cool. Um, I got a degree in psychology from LSU while we were writing Come Now Sleep. Um, I also got married right after that. And uh, so started having babies, told the band I couldn't tour anymore and kind of exited the band like in a friendly way. I was still kind of like hanging out with the guys, but um, went into law enforcement in Baton Rouge, which was knocking futz, dude. It was wild. Mm -hmm. Juvenile probation officer chasing kids around, and um, it was hard. And uh, yeah, so my brother had moved out here, and he's like, "Hey, come try out Utah. Come work at this landscaping business with me." I did that, and just wasn't making enough money. So I just I had some friends, and was like, "Hey, what do you do? What do your friends do?" And eventually got a job at the bottom level selling some software. And now I've. Um, so if you think like selling software, it's like the guys who sell Google to companies or Facebook ad companies. Um, I used to do cool stuff like that. Now I'm in like a bigger role uh, and I do more boring stuff, but it's awesome. I have a pretty laid back schedule, just like you, Mr. Jeremy. And, uh, <laughs> get to hang out with kids a lot and uh, deal with some big businesses. And yeah, who would have thought like Colin from Acidies Burn would be like, I deal with like Fortune 500 companies and like go sit in boardrooms and like I run the show, which is weird. It's amazing. I love that. It's cool. It's so cool. That's awesome, dude. And the family's doing well. Family's good. I have That's a lot awesome. of kids still, so we're in the middle of it. So you know this. So Arch is 14, Holden is 12, Huck is 10, Jubilee is 7, and Campsy's 4. We call him Camp. And so they all ski. So like we go out and do big ski days and they all go to weird schools. They don't go to normal schools. So they're in like these weird charter schools. And I feel like I'm just driving around the city all day, like trying to get kids to school on time. And then I coach all their sports. They're we're a lacrosse and basketball family. So that's really cool. That's awesome. If I'm too fidgety, let me know. Like no, you're switch. good. You're good. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear, man. I'm, I'm stoked for you. That uh, seems like a cool spot you're in. And, man, I would love to go out there at some point. That'd be cool. I've just never been. But uh, maybe at some point we will. And you should come down to Florida. Come uh, bring the fam down to Florida. I love Florida, dude. Yeah, I man. Love Florida. Yeah, dude. Florida rules. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Um, all right. Well, let's go. Let's uh, let's go back a little bit. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's talk about um, as cities burn. How it began. How you got in, got in uh, in the band and kind of let's go in the beginning. I feel like every story, every question you ask me is going to have like a four hour story, but I'll I'll be concise on this one. So um, let me see how quick I can run through this one. So as cities burn. So I moved to. My parents blessed me by moving me to Louisiana my junior year of high school. Is that from uh, Kansas? It was actually from Illinois. So I moved okay. to Kansas to Illinois, lived there for a couple of years and moved to Louisiana. So I was like this newfound ska kid, like five iron frenzy, super tones and like MXPX and slick shoes were my jam. So I show up to this Louisiana school and I'm the only dude who's like, what was I wearing at the time? Probably like Jenko's and like a band shirt. Oh yeah. Same here. 
Um, and uh, just doing the thing. And one day, you know, at lunch, I'd sit by myself and all the – I'd sit by on a you know, wall by myself and, like, eat. And this kid came up one day. I was wearing – dude, this is actually credibility. I was wearing a strong arm shirt. And he's yes. like, he's like, you like strong arm? And I was like, yeah, dude, I saw him at um, this festival called Cornerstone a couple of years ago. And if you remember Cornerstone, underground skate park shows, like the hardcore yeah. show, wearing like the skate. And I was like, it's crazy, you know, down the road for the students forever and all that wild stuff that really yep. us. But he's like, uh, I play drums um, and I go to this, they go to First Baptist Church in Covington. He's like, hey, do you play anything? I was like, yeah, dude, I sing. Jeremy, so that was Brian Dixon, who's still an incredible dude. I didn't sing. That's just, I didn't play an instrument, so I was just like, yeah, I can sing. And so he introduced me uh, to a couple dudes from his church. And so Cody Bonnet was this kid who just learned how to play bass. Wow. And then this other kid named Austin played guitar. And we started a ska band, Alliance 103. So 10 is for J, 3 is for C. So we are Alliance under Jesus Christ. Wow. And we were a pretty terrible but very fun ska band out of Covington, Louisiana. So we'd play shows like for their youth group, and there would be hundreds of kids. Like That's awesome. Chaos. So fast forward, that band, we all kind of like – we did that for a couple of years. We opened for the Supertones. Um, we opened for – dude, I won't even – what's that PAX band? PAX, PAX 217 or PAX something like yeah. that. Yeah, no, yeah. So, like, if any band came close in, like, a church, we would always open. And um, so we tri- uh, fast forward to, and tell me if this story is too long, to uh, we all get cool. We kind of hold the band together. We kind of decide we don't want to be ska anymore. And we, we, we kind of turn into this punk rock band. And so I can't even remember the name. Do you remember the name of our punk rock band? I don't, actually. Oh, to be honest with you. So we became, like, a pop punk band. Cody's still on bass. They taught me how to play guitar and sing. And then this guy named Ben Andre had moved from Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, Brian's still on drums. And we started playing pop punk and it was awesome. Like we were, we were good. And we were all going to LSU. Eventually Ben Andre felt called to do something else. And so we caught, uh, Cody has this brother named TJ Bonnet. Mm-hmm. They were like, hey dude, can you sing? And so, we invited TJ to join the band and uh, we met Pascal. Pascal was in like a cool band we played with somewhere. And so that's what we were. So I played second guitar. Um, Cody played, switched to lead guitar. Pascal played bass. TJ would sing and we started as Cities Burn and we just started in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and just playing shows. And our whole thing was like, what's cool about it is we just wrote this like passion filled and driven music and our shows were chaos like because we were like we had seen norma jean play we had seen the hardcore bands were like we just want to be like go off yeah and just like, enjoy and like feel the music and so we did and people started to latch on with that and baton rouge had like a kind of a growing hardcore scene and we started to get like people to come to shows um a thing that helped us a ton which is interesting is we would put on there was this uh church i can't remember what it's called but um, Pastor Doug, through some people, would let us throw shows in his church for free. He would let us take the door. So our moms would work the door, no security. We would charge five bucks, and then we would get the whole take. 
which was the beginning of us being able to put ourselves on the road. Uh, mm. We're self-funded, right? And so, as Cities Burn was born, and we started playing bars, and we there's a there was a cool bar called Ichabod's, which had like a bunch of metal stuff, and we were like this Christian kind of hardcore band, and they're like, "You'll never make it there." And we <laughs> like selling that place out, and like the, the guy who booked shows there was like, "Dude, I underestimated." what this was and uh so that's it we we kind of helped build build a scene in baton rouge that was great and we all dropped out of school and said let's go on the uh, tj Twenty had like a cool lifted jeep and he sold it for a conversion van and what so a sweetie tj awesome. and I, tj and i would book all the shows and we hopped on the road and this is pre-aaron the Aaron story is simple. Like uh, our, our drummer, Brian Dixon, decided he was called to do something else. And so we had a friend of a friend, um, drummer. And so we asked him to join, and uh, he was like the perfect fit. And so off we went, dude. We went and started just touring for no money. And remember BYOFL? Were you ever a part of that? What was it? BYOFL, book your own effing life. No, I don't think I was. Go on, and it would just have listing of promoters and cities, and we're talking like house show promoters. Wow. Like, hey, we're coming through on, you know, in a month on a Tuesday. Can you book us? And they'd be like, oh. yeah, it's this bar. There will be four people there, so we can't pay you, but like, we'll split the door, and um, that's what we did. And so, TJ. So I'm gonna mess this up, but TJ would book like the west, and I would book the east, and we would just leave. Yeah. We had no money, but we had no responsibilities. None of us had cars or like anything to pay for. We all got cell phones, which is funny. I think I was like 22 when I got my first cell phone and uh, we hit the road and like the response, I think our first out of town show, um, I'll stop talking here in a minute, Jeremy. You're fine. We, we went to uh, Birmingham, Alabama and played a pizza shop with a band called Nodes of Rambier. Oh, and yeah, I know none. They, I, just jo- I just had John on recently. So he was funny. We got there to this pizza shop, and there was like 20 people there, whatever, great show. And they, they're they from like South Dakota, right? Yeah. Something weird. And they were asked to play before us. And we're like, dude, we're out of, like no one knows who we are. Like we came to play for you. And so they played before us, and they're good. And we played our freaking hearts out. And there was this kid named uh, Lee in the audience who like freaked out about us. He's just like, dude, you're so good. Lee ended up playing drums in a band called Mailing and the Sons of Disaster. Oh, yeah. And so still a good friend to, to date. But um, that's our first experience where we got went out, kind of got screwed a little bit by a band. But like we just kind of did our thing. And we our, our mantra was always like, doesn't matter who's here. We're playing for like what we believe and like the, how we feel about the music. And uh, it was fire. And so Lee and of course, like all the mailing dudes ended up, they weren't a band yet. Cause Lee'd be like, I got this cool band coming, man. We're going to be metal band. <laughs> really cool. They came around and we met Dallas and like all those dudes. Um, I think we probably stayed with them a billion times, but, uh, there's the origin of the band, ska band to like pop punk to like, we really wanted TJ to be in the band. We didn't know if he could sing or scream, but like TJ was my best friend and Cody's brother. 
where it's like, how do we get this guy? There was talk of him being on base first, which is funny, but uh, he didn't have the base chops. Um, so we taught him how to scream, and I played guitar, and we got Pascal, and it was super fun. That's really cool. Um, you, uh, I guess uh, my next question is after that touring, is that kind of what brought you to Solid State Tooth and Nail, or is, did you, how long did it take for that to kind of materialize? And, um, I, you know, we'll go back in a little bit over some of the shows I did with you guys, but I just, um, yeah, just, just kind of delve into that a little. So I don't know. It felt like we toured for four years before the Solid State thing happened. But, of course, we loved all the bands. Like, and we knew a bunch of them. Um, Norm Jean's always the one that pops up front. But, like, we had, like, been following So Beloved, of course, Under Oath, all those bands. We would – and we, we grew more regionally. So if, like, Under Oath was going to play or Beloved was going to play in, like, Jackson, Mississippi, they'd call us and say, we open. We knew the people there. <laughs> and so we had our – eye on that the whole time and of course chad johnson was there at the time and we latched onto this guy ryan rado who's a oh, great yeah, I know ryan. yeah ryan was our first manager and he was just kind of like we liked him a ton really interesting dude who i think is awesome and he just knew people and so we're like hey will you just come and he came on tour with us and it was like this beautiful disaster he snored a lot he has tourettes but he's like this incredible personality yeah just such a cool dude and he knew chad johnson and so we were touring and um our eyes were always on solid state always to the nail solid state and uh so we were touring 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 and we made it up to the west coast and um dude i don't know where we played in seattle we played in seattle and chad johnson came out to see us and i think at the time we looked like a pretty typical like our we had like girl cut pants and like small t-shirts and we like threw down. And so Chad, it's awesome. We're like, this is our chance. This is our chance. No, no mistakes. And we played and there were, you know, 20 people there or whatever. I can't even remember who we played with, but, um, Chad took us to subway afterwards. <laughs> been talking to the militia group, but we're like, oh, we don't want time to develop. We want like, we want to be on a label. Because the militia group at that time had Beautiful Mistake. Oh, gosh, who all did they have? They had some, like, really... Copeland? Copeland? Right. So, like, some good bands. And we were like, we didn't want to be pigeonholed into hardcore. Yeah. Uh, and so when they kind of were like, you need to develop more and tour more, we're like, all right. Um, they were kind of neck and neck with solid, or tooth and nail to us. And so Chad comes to the show, takes us to Subway, dude. And we sit there, and it was devastating because he's like, you guys are good, man. But he's like, you just got to spend some more time on the road, develop your sound. And we were just like crushed. Like, mm. so to 99% of the people in America, that would be a good thing. Like you got a guy out, an A&R guy. He's like, you're good. Just develop more, build on that. We were crushed. And so we went back to this dude, dude's house, which is funny because he was in the cool hardcore band when we were back in Louisiana. We lived in Seattle. We all slept on his floor. And Ryan Rado got a call in the morning. So his phone rings, and he's like, dude, it's Chad. And so we're all sitting there, and you just hear him. He's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And I remember this vividly. And it's probably flawed, but it doesn't matter because it's my memory and no one else's. <laughs> he hung up his phone. He's like, Chad just invited uh, us to Tooth & Nail offices. They're going to make you guys an offer. And we, like, 
dogpiled in the middle of the, you know, we were all in sleeping bags in someone's living room, just dogpile, ah, freaked out. And we went to the Tooth and Nail offices that day. And back then they had like the record catalog and they're like, hey, go grab some CDs. Oh, yeah. So went through and like grabbed every strong arm beloved under oath. Uh, more importantly, like, um, I don't know. So, further seems forever, all their stuff. I mean, you think about like Roadside Monument, you think mm. about all those old OG bands. Um, and we just like packed our pockets, got merch, and we met Brandon Ebel. I think mm. that's the I've ever talked to Brandon Ebel. And uh, he kind of explained. So, we went to his office, Chad introduced us. And he's like, Yeah, he's like, Chad thought you were good, and he mentioned that you needed to d- develop more. But he's like, "Why wait? Like, let's pull the trigger now and figure this out and get you I guys on." I love that. I love so that. We flipped out, went back on tour, and stigar- what's funny is you don't realize you start the negotiation process at that point. So you get a lawyer, and you start to negotiate like, "What's your budget for the first album look like?" And so we went through all that. But uh, like, dude, dream come true. There's like a there are like a thousand stories like on the way to that of playing with beloved and, and you know, uh, Norma Jean and under oath and them being like, dude, you guys are really good. Like you should like get in t- touch with our, with Chad. And I was, we were like, yeah, like that's, that's the goal. And like doing all those shows. And I feel like we just played unending shows. Cody brought me back down to earth though. A couple of years ago when he's like, dude, we only toured for like a year full time before we got signed. If even like eight months, Really? And, yeah. We had been playing shows locally before that for a long time, but like not like rigorous touring, which we did for the next couple of years. And so, yeah, well, you know, we, I, full memory of just like dogpiling on the floor. Chad kind of said no to us the next morning. He's like, that's hey, incredible. Come in. We're going to make you an offer. So that is insanely awesome. Um, but, uh, I was just thinking about, uh, the first time I met you guys, um, and then it's it's funny because I didn't actually the first time I saw you guys, I didn't actually book you. You guys were you played some like random like place that fixed hot rods or something, uh, something, and it was like Eternal Speed and Iron or something like that. Some random like warehouse in Wichita, and I went to the show, and I was like, man, this band's badass. Like, and then I don't even know. And I was starting to book after that, and I think I had booked my first show. I had booked was Haste the Day, and I don't know if I booked you got was it through Tara? It might have been through Tara. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Either way, I started book. Finally, got a hold of you guys, and we and we did a show together. I think I did like, man, I can't even think right now to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, I booked you probably five or six times at least. Um, oh, I think I did a show. Well, that actually was the uh, – anyway, yeah. So I wound up booking you guys. I think I did you with Poison the Well a couple times. Oh, I, oh, now I'm thinking about it. Okay. I, I did you guys with Under Oath and Poison the Well and uh, Sense My Man. So good. Yeah, that was a monster. That was the biggest show I ever did, actually, ironically. And it was um, some weird ballroom or something, like a skate rink or something. What's that place the called? Cotillion. The Cotillion. Yeah, it was actual, actually a concert venue, but they had like, you know, whatever there. But yeah, yeah. that place was dope. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then, uh, um, cool. I did think, I think I had a tour with, with Cool Hand Luke with you guys. Yep. And then, um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, Deer in the Headlights. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, there was a couple more. I cannot think. <clears throat> but either way, I just, um, 
kind of wanted to talk about this one moment that I well, I'll probably never forget actually. Um, I don't, I don't know who was playing bass for you guys when it was before "Son I Love You" had come out, and there was, was a fear. Past- no, it wasn't either one of you. It was a guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know his name. So Pascal might have. We might have. Yeah, he had just left. So either so Lucas from Terminal played with us, and then the guy named Lucas. Blake. 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 Uh, that's it. That's yeah. it. Okay. Big dude. Well, fun kid. Yes, love Lucas. By the way, rest in peace. Um, amazing dude. I think he played a couple shows when I that I did with you guys as well. But um, anyway, Blake. I remember specifically, vividly, I was standing outside. It was at the Eagles Lodge, and you guys were playing. And um, I was talking to him outside, and I was like, and I didn't know if he was fully in the band or whatever, but I was like, so, uh, I was like, how's how's the new record going to come out? And he's like, man, he's like, this record is going to change people's lives. And I was like thinking, okay, well, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I just was like, okay, cool. And then it just ironically, that record did change people's lives, like, completely, like, I just yeah. will never forget that moment. I don't know why, but he was just like, this record. And he said it with, with conviction. It was just like, whoa. I mean. Dude, we're all like 22, and he was like 17 or something. Like, it was wild. Like, he was a baby, and he was so good. Blake Millard, I think that's his last name. Did he play with anyone else? Or <clears throat> he, Yeah, look him up. Uh, he's on Instagram, uh, and he still plays. He's got like four kids. He had like four kids by the time he was twenty. It was wild. He like that's nuts. He's a little bit of a rabbit. And uh, <laughs> so he's in a band. He always did pop music, like which is what he was really good at. Great singer and guitarist, and just like wasn't, wasn't the right fit for us, but like super talented dude. That's awesome. Um, so let's get to "Son, I Love You." Um, since we were just talking about it, like uh, can you kind of bring? how the recording process or not even the process, but like how the record came together, how you felt about it, how, when you recorded it, were you like, Holy, Holy crap, this is going to, you know, just kind of let's go over that record. Where to begin. So a couple things. So, um, Oh, Josh Goggin was in the chariot at the time. Cause he left Norma Jean. So we met Josh. Um, we did a, so before the record ever came out, we did a young bloods tour. Oh yeah. And it, I tried to book it. His legend, show, Showbread, and gosh, with that last band, the dudes were so cool. Um, far less. Far less. Yeah. And uh, Josh Scoggin, I think, just thought we were idiots. And then he saw us play and he's like, dude, can I help produce your record? So we did this tour before we ever recorded. And so, and then we had our eye on Goldman because Goldman had done, um, did he do Norma Jean? Goldman had I think done. So. Stuff and Josh Scoggin loved him, and he's like, "Hey, I'll produce it. Let's go to Goldman. He'll engineer and produce as well." And so we went to Atlanta to do it. And I mean, we were just babies; like, we had no idea what to expect. We didn't know if TJ could like scream on a mic and sound good. We had just, and we were poor, dude. Like, we stayed with Scoggin part of the time. Where else did we stay while we were there? Oh, we stayed downtown. Was it? It was Atlanta, you said. Yeah, we stayed yeah. kind of towards Buckhead um, and uh, just a really interesting learning process. Like uh, it took a long, so six weeks maybe to record that record, I think. Um, but we just went in like the, 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 the ideology of the band early on was so, well, it was idealistic. Like we were just like, we're going to change the world. Like we're not going to be the super preachy band. We're going to write positive lyrics. We're going to th- like be as passionate as we can on stage and just like change the world. And, 
you go into recording and like that starts to pan out, right? Goldman, there's like a vision and you, you hear TJ, like, of course, Cody's guitar was like fundamental to the whole thing. Actually kind of everything was Aaron's drumming out of sight. And he was like, he's like kind of a one take guy. Like he gets it and puts it down. Cody's guitar work was crazy. And then I think, I think the nervousness was always like, what's TJ going to sound like on a, on the big mic? And he sounded so freaking good. Mm. And then yeah. Cody's singing. And so you sit there, but like recording a record's like shooting a movie. I would assume that like, there's such a ton, like you get done recording and you feel good about it. And then there's such a long runway of here's all the things that have to happen. It has to be mixed. It has to be, uh, compressed. It's got to do all this stuff and then you got to do art and then you got to like set the map for the marketing piece of the release. And so we just wanted to get on the road and that's like, so I think we had recorded it when we hopped on with dead poetic and those guys, um, and had some of the best times of our life. But that, Recording process, two things were eye-opening is just how cool it was and how good it sounded, but also like you put, uh, I think maybe it was the beginning of the end with Pascal because um, you're in an incubator, you're, in a, you're poor, so you're in a hotel room. And I think we had like a suite, maybe there were two rooms, but you're like, you're all sleeping together mm. and for six weeks. Like we, so one thing we did wrong, come now sleep and uh, son, I loved you is we all stayed together and then we all went to the studio together. So you were always together. Like you're sleeping together, waking up, eating breakfast, and then y'all go to the studio together, which hindsight being 2020, the person who was up that day should have gone to the studio. Cody always wanted to be in the studio because he always like wanted to be like, know what's going on. But like, I didn't need to be there. And I think it creates a little bit of a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of personalities, a lot, a lot going on, a lot of, a lot of boredom. Mm -hmm. boredom can be satiated easily when you have money because you can go to a movie you can go out to eat but we are all super poor so you just sit in the studio and you'd eat ramen and watch tv and so the recording process was always kind of tough just because it was so acute like we were always but a good time i guess nonetheless but um yeah recording son i loved you like we just we all dude believed so heavily that we were about to change the game like we were, were, all the, were all the songs written before the recording or was did you were they were they done or did you write any in the recording completely done so the only changes were a couple things so um scoggin coming in and being like hey let's do this here which was usually just an addition like a screaming here or like do this and then having mike watts uh, mix um, and he added like some really cool, like more atmospheric stuff. He had done Hope, Hope's Fall and yeah. Mike Watts is a friend to this day. I think I'm the only one that's seen him in a bit, but um, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, dude, because of money and like just the way we ran the band, we were dialed. Um, just like when we went on tour, everything was perfect. And so we would hammer out, we would practice to no end, just replay the song, replay the song. And so we got in, cause I was rhythm guitar, right? I knocked out my stuff in no time, like super simple. And um, we were, we were a dial machine when we got into the, to the studio. That's awesome. Yeah. Come Down Sleep was a little looser. We had more time, more money. And then Hell or High Water, 
we had a less money, but like infinite time because Cody had worked um, out there before and he was helping engineer the record. And so he was able to just tool around. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so after Sun uh, was Tooth and Nail stoked on it, Solid State, uh, what was the vibe like? Um, you know, like kind of when you, you know, sent them the record, were they just like, holy crap? Like, yeah, everyone freaked out. And that's when like um, bands started wanting to take us on tour and. I'll stand by. We had like our the 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 so of a rookie record. I don't I don't know if we sold more than the chariot, but the chariot had Skog, and we were like the top selling first week in tooth and nail history or solid state history um, at that point because we had like toured for so long, like the hype was done. We had done big tours before the record came out, and uh, uh, the hype was was real. People like were very stoked on the record, and immediately the thing that because we weren't as heavy as the Chariot or Norma Jean or Ace Today. Everyone was just thought we were the next under oath. Like, you had Cody singing, and they're like, oh, if they can just do, you know, this five-degree turn and make it a little bit more ear-friendly, like, this is the this is the band that's going to do it. And yeah, yeah. Who knows, but... So, you tour on that record. How? I mean, I know, obviously, I booked you quite a few times, but, like, how, how long was that and you got any cool stories from that no <laughs> uh we toured forever on it um gosh 12 or 18 months we also wrote slow and so we toured on it for a long time and it had already started writing come down sleep probably 10 or i don't know 12 months into the cycle but like no that's when you start going to like cornerstone and you play like tooth and nail day and there's a ton of people there and then we had some night night show uh gosh what was that our like our kind of the headline shows we played one of the i can't remember the name of the tents it was like one and two but like encore 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 yeah so you play there and it's like you know five four thousand people two yeah, something absurd just packed and freaking the hell out and then you're like all right let's freaking do this and then as i lay dying in, or under oath had a uh, played main stage so which is funny because it was under oath as i lay dying the chariot and then us so we played main stage for a couple thousand people that's insane and uh that's when you kind of realize and then it's funny because the my my memory's blurred because we played so many shows but there's so much of like um like wichita is a good example where you booked bands we went there and probably opened for some, you know, band we didn't know. And then you kind of, you meet a band in Kansas and you become friends. And then, you know, your third and fourth time through all of a sudden it's 200 people going psycho. And like, that's all you ever wanted as a band is like, can I go to a small town, have a, a handful of people know the words and go psycho. And that's what it turned into. And it turned into like, you know, touring with Emery and Gym Class Heroes and Dead Poetic and Dredge was a, was a big one, a weird tour, but, uh, and like all of a sudden you're like, and you're playing these festivals. We, we played a festival in like a college station with the Toadies, like just like That's weird. Amazing. Yeah. And so like you're doing all this stuff and uh, I wish I would have enjoyed the moment more because I was always waiting for they're only chasing safety, right? I was always like, Sunday Loved You did really well, sold a bunch of records, and then they were waiting for a sophomore, which never happened, where I was going to be like, all right, now we're not playing for 500 people a night, we're playing for 2,000 or more, and we're on tour thrice. It just never happened. Um, 
But dude, there are, <laughs> yeah, the stories, the stories that like pre signed record are way funnier, like playing the knitting factory in New York uh, and carrying our, all of our gear down three, you know, three sets of stairs into the basement and playing with some new metal band who <laughs> funny thing with new metal bands is they always thought we were the best band ever. And we were always like, we we're always nice, but like we played with a band called security. Uh, <laughs> I think that's their name. Was it and tranquilizer? They, yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's like these dudes have like, they're playing for two people, but they have like bringing their own PA set up. So they have cordless mics and we're just down here, you know, throwing around playing for beer tickets or whatever. That's yeah, those days were so, especially Sunday, the optimism after Sunday I Loved You because the record picked up and like you'd start to get people like excited. Vino's and like Little Rock was a big one. Like yeah. we, and then you start to get, uh, we always love like the appreciation from other bands like Jimmy Ryan from Haste of the Day. Love him. Always sweet. Um, and then, yeah, all those, you know, the Norman Jean guys, the beloved guys. Uh, we were a band's band for sure. Like we had success outside of that, but like probably moving forward and in, into the future of the band, that was like always the cool thing. We do like reunion shows and there'd always be a thousand people on stage and like checking it out. So it's fun. I love that. You did yeah. warp tour around then too as well. And just kind of those, those, uh, yes. And I can't remember, dude. That's another one where I was like trying to think of the history warp tour. Uh, I don't, I cannot remember for the life of me if we did three years on Warp Tour or two. But what I do know is like we did short stints. The first one we did like a month or two weeks or, and we shared a bus with Scary Kids Scaring Kids. <laughs> Those guys are nuts. Just chaos. Cause we're like, we would have a beer, hang out, and they were like, yeah, balls to the wall. Bus driver weed as he was driving down the interstate and like, You'd walk in the bus in the middle of the day after playing, and like there'd be like ch like shenanigans happening in the back lounge. Oh yeah, and it yeah. was just like this is out of control. So the year after that, um, we did it in a in a van, which was the worst thing ever. You, you do it to save money, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, dude, it's rock and roll like high school. Like you finish playing, and then everyone's in the parking lot, like having hamburgers and beers, and just like hanging out. And you're going on like we used to go on Paramore's bus and we'd go hang out with the Under Oath guys. And like, it's just like so. Punk rock so, camp. Interesting, interesting story there is, uh, is it Sandstone Amphitheater in Kansas? Yeah, that's, a, that's in Kansas City, I think. So the, one of the first shows I ever saw was um, Steve Miller Band there. It's also the first time I ever smelled weed. I remember <laughs> like I, went, I was probably 12 and went with Mike my friend and his parents and like learned what an encore was. They didn't play the Joker and like they went off stage and I was like, are you kidding me? Like they're not going to play Joker. Came back on stage, played it. And I was like in heaven. So we, I played that stage, you know, like a decade later, uh, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It's a great venue. Great venue. Yeah. So well, serious. Holy shiz. That's a serious endeavor. I, I, no, I can't imagine. I really, I just yeah it's mind-boggling to me the fact that it even lasted as long as it did um yeah. the warp tour hack though i'll tell you this i know you're gonna ask me a question so you're always trying to steal stuff at warp tour like meal tickets and stuff you're always trying to like sneak in lines and like do all this which was funny 
my thing is I would walk around with just gym shorts on and I would go find a hose at the venue because it'd be like 100 degrees, right? Yeah. And I would have played. There's no shower. We're not allowed in like the shower facilities and all that stuff because it's for the, the headliners. And I would always just go find a hose or a spigot and I would shower off just in the middle of the day, hose off, and then just go walk around and dry out. And I remember that like I would get in the van in the evening and be like, I feel great. Like, yeah. Like feel good. I believe it. But I believe it. Um, I've, real quick, I wanted to go back. I forgot to ask you one thing. What uh, on "Son I Love You"? And I was going to ask you for "Come Now Sleep" and the others as well. What's your favorite song from that record? What What's the one re- song that you attach to, or are you still like, you know, popping when you're driving in the car and you're like, a holy shit moment or whatever? It's so funny. I don't even know if I know the names of the songs. So it's obviously not the widow. <laughs> that became like a, uh, uh, sorry I'm checking this out that, that became a problem with the band because everyone always wanted Cody to play the Widow yep. and it's a pretty pretty brutal song yep. um, and that became like it, it got weird and like yeah no I, I I remember one of the shows uh, he wound up playing it and I think everyone was like the kids were all like this is the first time he's ever played they, like you know that whole like that's yeah. talking I, yeah I remember it being a heavy heavy moment yeah so look at the dumbass names we have thus from my lips by yours my sentence purge which is cool because like we like wanted to do this whole like every everything had to have, have meaning back in the day we'd print t-shirts and be like does it mean like <laughs> Trey love jealous one love um is thus from my lips that's a first song I think isn't it that's the best song because that like just hits like uh, I don't necessarily love the way it ends because it could have a more fun ending. But um, thus for my lips, every time I hear, you know, it's like noise. And, yep. yeah. This is yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a dope song. So good. And then I actually love the whole record, but like uh, recording of Want in Misery was pretty special. Like it being just like very atmospheric because I was so into like further and hopes fall and yeah. all that stuff like having like a long drawn out kind of meaningful and then like a real heavy ending i loved yep. playing that song. practicing it was brutal because it was so long but it was such an easy song to play but like i just love everything about that song bloodsucker part two yeah like, that's a that's a banger bro <laughs> it's not the most interesting song but like when you're like uh trying to have a moment with with people they give you yeah. that moment and like yep. so Blood circuit's like ah, not the most interesting, but everyone's gonna party. So let's it, freak out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's incredible. I was gonna say that's probably my favorite, just because it's, it's just got, I don't know. It's just like punches you in the mouth, and it's just I don't know. It's it's just a jam. Yeah, and like uh, yeah, there, monster, which is terrible. How terrible? Oh yeah. Wake Dead Man Wake was heavy as hell. I always had trouble with my bass tuning because I played four strings and it was in C. Love jealous one, t- one. Love jealous one. Love also. Da, 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 da. We were doing weird stuff like that where I was like, I, I'm not nearly as good at guitar as anyone that's ever played in that band, and so I would learn these complicated riffs and just feel proud. Da, yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's a great record. It's, it's still. Oh uh, yeah, I still listen to it probably once a month at least. Just you know, and it's like, yeah, it's ridiculous. 
Um, so after the touring and everything, uh, what kind of what led to? I know that you know. I, uh, did you guys want breaking up or something? Or I don't remember. I, it's yeah, been so long. Times, we broke up so much. It was so frustrating. So. TJ wanted to get married. So at the end of the Son I Loved You cycle, TJ wanted to get married, which I get because we were touring very hard. And he had met uh, a girl in Mississippi and like wanted to be around her. And I think we were all just – we did a tour with um, – I'm actually not going to say the name of the band. We did a tour with a, a band that we just loved, um, not on the label, and it was really brutal. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, just like the, the vibe of the tour was kind of dark, um, mm. like lots of t- probably too much drinking and like, no, like little camaraderie. And we were just grinding it out. We had probably, sh- we should have gone home for the tour and not done it, but we took it because the band was so big. And, um, I think that we were all just kind of beat up from touring forever, getting deal touring cycle on Sunday. I loved you. So TJ left and kind of the band we were going to be done. And then we had like a come to Jesus in God, I want to say Spokane where we were just like, all right, we're going to do it without TJ. Let's be a four piece. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's get closer to the, the further seems forever. Um, I wish I knew my influences were way different. I liked heavier music than the other guys did. Um, but like, let's, let's go like a radio angle. Like let's get something that like, is more predictable, not quite as heavy. And like, let's just like write what we listen to, which at the time is, you know, Jimmy world, Juliana theory, further seems forever, death cab. Um, a lot of just like pop. I still to this day, just love pop. I love heavy, love pop. And so TJ quit. We were not going to be a band. Um, we decided to stay a band at the end of the tour because like we wanted to stick it out. Um, that's when we went home and wrote Come Now Sleep. So we lived in Baton Rouge. We wrote that record, I feel like, for like a year. It might have been 10 months. It might have been six. I finished college while we were writing that record and uh, got married. Um, and then we did Come Now Sleep. The reception on Come Now Sleep was just – just people didn't get it. Yeah. And it's a it's a freaking good record. Dude. Yeah, it's a great record. It's a really good record. And uh, – so diehards kind of got it and it was a more accessible record, but we are already kind of like on our way down the solid state path. And so we ended up releasing that, on, you know, a dual tooth and nail and solid state band. And, uh, yeah, it just never hit like our first week. It's you measure so much. You used to back in the day on first week dollar and the tours, like we, we did that headliner with, um, you mentioned booking it, uh, Oh, deer in the headlights. Oh, cool hand Luke. Cool hand Luke. Yeah, so yeah. And Luke and Olympia and Olympia is some of the yeah. best ever met to this day. But it just you could tell it was on the downside, and that's kind of like where my story ends with the band. Um, we did that tour, and then we went back out with Emery, and I found out we were pregnant with my first kid, and so I told the the guys, you know, sales were down, like guarantees were kind of coming down um and it was just like baby on the way i was really excited about that we've been doing it for a long time and i was just like hey guys like i gotta it's time for me to be a dad and so i ended up uh leaving the band and the band broke up again at that point i was kind of like uh without overstating my position i'm i am the least of these with when it comes to talent 
and musicianship, I was like, uh, me and Aaron kind of ran the business and then I was the glue. A lot of like hard personalities, but even like with my career now with sales, like I'm really good at like, hey, you're good, he's coming from here, you're coming from here, we can all get along, we can figure this out. And then like, yeah, someone like Cody, who's such a fantastic talent, he's just got a nuanced um, personality. Like I spent a lot of time like trying to hope to protect him from like, a lot of the big bad world stuff that was going on around like, you know, the band like promoting and all this. And so it just, it became too much and I exited, but the band, I actually can't even remember what happened. So TJ was gone. I left. We had, we had uh, asked Chris Lott to join. Who's one of the most. Oh, Chris. Yeah. One of the best guitar talents on the planet. Um, And, uh, I left, but things just like when TJ left, things were kind of marinating, right? And so it was like we had one more record with Tooth and Nail, and Cody's like, "I want to write it. I want to like finish out our contract." And then TJ kind of was like, "Hey, I don't think his marriage was on the rocks. This was his first wife, but he's like, hey, 'Hey, I'll come be a part of the band again. Maybe not tour full time, but I'll help write um, uh, another record.'" and uh, so he hopped back in and I didn't have the time. I was, well, I was working full time and had a baby. And so, um, that's where record number three came from. So, yeah, well, that's a great record as well. I love that record. Um, let's talk about come now sleep and the, re- the recording with that. How did, um, you remember any specifics from that or like, uh, do you remember when you wrote it, you were like, I mean, it's a heavy record, you know, like heavy. Oh, writing you know. it, I'm sure we were going to be Jimmy world. Like there were songs like this is it like and then the way the record opened like we were we we fought tooth and nail on opening with um, a really simple like sweet sad song and uh, what is so it's funny because I keep looking at track listings it's funny when you're in a band and you do not like um, I don't know Empire. We were, I was sure Empire was going to put us on like top 50, like, (laughs) like such a good song, like easy, like repeating choruses, which we had never done. And, uh, so we all went back to Baton Rouge. TJ was out of the band. I had a, I was engaged. I was in school and everyone got jobs and we just like wrote every night. We'd go to this, um, storage unit and we would just jam and write and we wrote, it was pretty special. Some of the more complex songs we've ever written and some of like pop songs. And I was sure like we just, we went from being like uh, esoteric to like further seems forever. Like this is going to be like us being heavy to like the world consuming our, our, our music like to no end. Turns out our audience wasn't that, but um, we wrote that record over six months and it was a great process. Kind of like not super heavy. Um, and it was good. I, we all just, it was a break. We were off the road. We could like hang out and like chill with each other without like being in a van. Um, and it was good. And then we went to record that again in Atlanta with Matt Goldman. And this time we had some more space, but we did this. and sit there then every night we'd go sit in the hotel room and watch a movie together it was just like too close yeah and uh we should have let like cody go to the studio and do his thing and like work with matt and like if i was doing bass i'd switch to the bass at this point 
I should go, me, Cody go, and the other guys get to like wander Atlanta or whatever. We were still super poor. So that's a thing where you can't just like go get a cheeseburger and a beer because you don't have enough money for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, good process at the time. Um, yeah, there was a funny thing. So the band wanted to be like me without you, just a super dialed, super artsy band. The problem was me. Um, I'm not as good at instruments. And so there was a guy um, that they knew from Arkansas, really good bassist. And they're like, hey, Colin, maybe we move you to third guitar and we put him on bass. And the problem was there's no third guitar parts. There's no reason for that. It was just them being kind and kind of keeping the band. But the problem is you bring in a good bassist and we have written a record for six months. Our shiz was not easy to learn. Like, and so even a good bassist came in and was like, this is pretty complicated. And he was having some issues with it. And so it was determined he'd come to the studio with us and we'd kind of work on bass together. I ended up recording almost all the bass. He wrote, what's the first song in that record called? Uh, Do, 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 do. Oh, contact. Contact. No, it's not contact. Uh, it is. I actually could be wrong. It is contact. Good call. Uh, he recorded that record on bass, um, and we we I did almost everything else because I had helped. Cody actually wrote a lot of the bass, and I would just play. And with like 48 hours left in the studio after six weeks, um, the track was lost. And I won't say who lost it, but the track was lost completely. Mm. And so we like, and you know, a track takes days to record once you layer everything on. And I ended up, so I went back and I played the bass on it. It was just fine. Um, but there was like a very intense last few moments of that recording session where it was just like, uh, but also we had Chris Lott and it was the first time we had recorded with Chris Lott and we always called him a trash can soloist. You never knew what that dude was going to pull out of that trash can. Mm. Some of the most brilliant stuff. And so oh, yeah. they'd be like, all right, Chris, you're up. And he would record a solo and it would be the mo the funniest thing you've ever heard where it's just like the notes don't make sense the rhythm that nothing makes sense and then you listen to it all together and you're like ah, this is actually pretty good kind of brilliant. Break, yeah brilliant. that recording experience was better than the first because we kind of knew what we were doing but we were all still too too close together um but yeah. better and yeah. it like very uh it's weird when like you have success as a band and you're trying to not only like replicate it or duplicate it, but you're trying to build upon it and you just have no idea how anyone's going to like, will they like it? Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what did tooth and nail think about when you, when you sent it to them? I've always wondered that. I know it was such a departure, but what did, what was their take on it? So I just don't, I don't think they loved it. And I think that Brandon on what's that pod, uh, uh podcast Emery does or the guys uh, bad Christian. No, um, Labeled? Labeled. Yeah. Because there's one about us, uh, or we're pieces of it, and Brandon talked about, like, this is a band who was great at what they did, and they hand in this record that's, like... Oh, yeah. Emo, and, like, it's not what we expected from Acidies Burn, and so... 
No, I don't think that. I think that there might have been some optimism that like our audience would translate because we weren't a true hardcore band. But there was also like, this is not Bad Cities Burn we signed. And uh, yeah, that's always tough. But I, I bet it was. We remained optimistic. Like, no, people are going to hear Empire and they're going to freak out that we, we were able to song with choruses and it was still heavy and you know more singing um just ended, ended up not happening so i think that that record's translated over the years i think people appreciate it now more than they did then the the young you know yeah. oh, it's not what you know it's not what i want and the older you get you're like that's a refined record you know like we listen to that like me in the car with the kids and my wife come down sleep more than anything and then Heller High, High Water. It's, the old stuff was just so heavy. And I love it. I freaking love it. Because the memories that are tied to it, too. Yeah. You didn't, um, you didn't play on Hell or High Water, right? You said Cody just did that all? or I don't know how they ended up doing it. Because Aaron played drums on it. Cody, like, Aaron and Cody write a lot of stuff. And then Chris will come in. I didn't play on Hell or High Water. Cody played bass on it. Uh, I was out, but I would like, I went up to one of the, like they were finishing recording and I went up to Cleveland, Tennessee and uh, just hung out because I, yeah. you know, those dudes, I mean, they're still, Aaron lives here now. They're all still my best friends. And so I wanted to like be a part of it. And I thought uh, that's a freaking good record too. That's Oh a, yeah. It's a phenomenal record. Yeah, absolutely. I think I want to book in. Later on, I wound up booking Emery and like Hawkboy. I guess that was like basically <laughs> the same yeah. thing. They yeah. they played wound up playing. Um, Aaron today will say that if Hawkboy, if they could have figured it out, Hawkboy could have been a thing. That that was those two. That was special. Absolutely. Stuff too. Yeah. Um, I have this like weird vivid memory of when I think when you said at one point i think when i did a show one time i thought you were like i'm gonna join this new band uh, it's called oh sleeper <laughs> do you remember saying that <laughs> yeah i joined oh sleeper for like i thought years. you did i remember because i remember before it had come out i was like oh that's that's sick so on warp tour i had been talking to shane and micah for a long time and so tj quit and so we all like started looking around and I, I joined Warp Tour. I just told my Jen, who was my fiance at the time, I was like, we're going to move to Dallas and I'm going to be in a sleeper. I would have never been able to hang on guitar with those dudes. <laughs> Shane. <laughs> um, uh, so I joined O Sleeper uh, after TJ quit and um, the, rece the receiving end of Sirens had reached yeah. out to Cody and Cody was going to join them. And... Uh, and then, like, a couple days later, we had that conversation in Spokane where we're like, let's stay a band. And TJ was kind of teetering, like, I'll, I'll sing for you guys, but I can't tour. And so we decided, so we all said no to our other obligations. A really funny story is that um, this is all in Warp Tour. Like, uh, we're, I think, Warp Tour or a summer tour. We even played, like, um, Cornerstone, Florida. But I remember, like, one of the big conversations happened. The Receiving Under Sirens conversations happened. And I got a call from this band called uh, Manchester Orchestra. Oh, my God. Which is because Aaron gives me shit about this to date. Um, and I can't even remember the guy I talked to. Um, but he, uh, I was playing guitar at the time. And so he's like, hey, do you want to come? 
would you be interested in trying out for us? Like playing guitar, we know a lot about your band. Because this is the whole Southern, like slightly yeah. Christian. Uh, we had a reputation with a, we were friends with a band called Oh Brother. And, uh, oh, yeah. And so I just said, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to. We're going we're gonna to stay together as a band, so I'm not going to try out. I would have never been able to hang in Manchester at all, but it gives me shit to date. Like, dude, Manchester called you, and, like, that would have been the funniest thing ever for, like, you to be in Manchester. But uh, Unbelievable. No, uh, stayed in, stayed in old ACB. That's awesome. Man, you got to – that's uh, – I mean, you never know. It's, like, one of those things, like, I, I remember – in a different mindset, I remember like turning down, like when I was doing shows, I remember turning down shows that looking back, I'm like, why did I turn that down? Like I would have made a gazillion dollars. Like I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. It's all bad. Yeah. yeah. All bad. I remember, I just remembered another show I did with you guys, uh, Lorraine drive. Do you remember it was at like headway skate park? Yeah. I love those dudes. Dude. And singer Dan is in, uh, yeah, he's in like Hollywood. Hollywood Undead. Undead. <laughs> I know. I saw him a couple years ago. Uh, I, I sent you a picture. Remember, I was like, they played, and I and I was talking to him, and I sent you a picture of him, just randomly backstage. But yeah, that that band was really good. I forgot about them. They were a really interesting, super heavy, but very good pop sensibility. Like great choruses, yeah, and just sweet dudes. Like totally. Guy named Steve who played guitar, who was very good. We called him Sleazy Steve because he'd always try to make out with chicks. And then Justin. Uh, <laughs> Played guitar. What is their drummer's name? I, I, let's, we're on Instagram. He, I've stayed really close to him, but he's he's like recording drums and playing in another band. But yeah, those were good dudes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So after coming out of sleep, and the, is obviously is that kind of when where we I guess began the podcast, kind of where where you headed after that? Then I assume, right? Yeah, I know. Like. Uh, Come Down Sleep, we toured on, and, like, we loved the record, but just didn't get a response. And I decided to leave the band and kind of do real life, uh, which hit hard. I was in law enforcement and did all that stuff. And uh, over the years, so they did Hell or High Water, um, and we did a couple reunion tours. Unsilent Night was a show we did, and I could look it up. Um, so we played – we played the end of this festival and it was a great festival that Mike Zemer put on. Oh yeah. And, um, we had no idea like what what response would be. And like I had two of my babies there or two babies. Archer would have been like three and Holden would have been like one or younger. And, uh, we probably played for 4,000 people and it was probably the craziest thing I've ever done. Like it was chaos. We all flew out they um third string productions is that right um yeah 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 i think so Bought us a practice space put us up in a hotel and it was incredible and that's one of the like a good example of there were everyone screamed every word scoggin came up and sang with us and then but there were literally 100 people on stage like behind us like of bands that we were you know it's like Caleb Shomo from like Attack Attack and now Beartooth was like back there. Like that's where I met him and like all these bands who we just had loved forever and like were around and the show was off the freaking hook. It was insane. And so we did that and then a year or two later, um, I think it was Dave Shapiro booked us a reunion tour out west. Um, We did Sun I Loved You Out Your Darkest and it was a ton of fun. Less fun than that, 
because it was more like kind of back on the grind and like some of the shows were big and some weren't. Um, mm. And then, uh, yeah, the other guys have done a couple things since. Like, you know, there's another iteration of the band that did another record with. Um, gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Equal Vision, right? Yeah. Well, that's a great record, too. Um, TJ came back and they went back to touring full time. And uh, so I'd see them when they came through and hang out with them. But uh, yeah, I, I've, I've hopped back into like dad life and professional life, and I love it. I like yeah. being night and uh yeah same here <laughs> there was like uh a moment there so suddenly loved you your darkest when tj quit where we could have if he didn't we would have gone the under oath route and been huge um and like my life would be so different now and so it's like uh we didn't do that and it kind of brought me back and now i'm married i've been married for 15 years and five kids and like love every second of it and, yeah uh, it's great. Like the great memories from what we did. And I think that like how it was left is how it should have been left. Like we have great memories from big shows and some success and some really good art to show for it. Um, and if we would have milked it out, it'd probably be like a more sour taste, even though like stuff got weird, people got weird, situations got weird. I think we all have like a high enough EQ and never personally and always like the relationship at the end of the day is what matters and that's like what we lean into now and so so like uh aaron drummer 40th birthday here in six weeks so brian holmes was our old tour manager so me aaron tj and brian are gonna go to vegas and spend two nights together and so it's still like the old crew still exists You're naughty that's so naughty yeah, well, you'd be surprised at how not naughty it is. <laughs> Bro, Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Whatever happens. Um, that sounds fun. That sounds really cool. Is TJ living out there now, too? Are they, no, TJ's back there? in New Orleans with his wife. Oh, okay. he, he's, he got married, uh, geez, a little over a year ago. And uh, so he's living in New Orleans with his wife, living the dream life. Um, he has a daughter. And then Aaron's here with his three kids and his wife. Yeah, that's right. You said that's awesome. You have to tell those guys I said, hey. Um, what's that? I said I will for sure. Oh, I know you will. Um, so, yeah, man, you, you answered a lot of the questions I've always wondered. It's weird. I, I've known you for so long, but it's like it's cool to just, you know, pull back the layers a little bit and just hear some, some of the inside scoop because I know when we'd see each other, it'd be like hang for a night in and out, you know, like, you know, like – nothing's ever left you know friendship's still there but it's like you know it's cool to to hear this later on down the road you know and 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 see where you know how things you know because i have a perspective of of you guys as a band and and who you are as a person and it's always been you know an amazing experience and and all that stuff so it's just cool to hear the other side of it you know you're you know 15 years from that or 20 years however long it's been it's just really cool to see kind of where things went yeah, it was fun. Like I, uh, it's funny because I got a late start on like professional life, and a lot of guys that I work with were like, I mean, you're you're behind us five or six years, but like we would kill to have the stories that you have, and so like it's a good trade that like I'm a little bit behind on like my career. Actually, I'm not anymore, but I was at the time, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like the stories and like. Well, a good story, real quick, is like uh, people are like, "What's the best show you ever played?" And I'm like, "There's 
that's a complex conversation because like the first show you play where people are singing back to you is the best show ever. And then the first one where it's like you sell a place out, that's a, that's the best show ever. And then the, the next show where like a big band takes you out and you start playing thousand cap rooms every night, that's, those are the best shows. And then, um, so we did this reunion tour and we did a handful of house of blues venues and just bigger venues. Um, out west and this is a couple years ago i don't know four or five years ago and emory ended up being we were headlining and emory played before us um and we took listener out and then foreign sons and at the time so anaheim has disneyland right and disneyland had a house of blues and so i was able to fly my kids out at the time i had three my three sons and flew them out to disneyland hung out in disneyland for the day and then they got to see their dad play house of blues at disneyland and like that's a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Like, who? So there, my kids are backstage eating catering at House of Blues in Disneyland, you know, with like a, a day of like memories, and we got that's to play. incredible. There's stuff like that. We're just like, who gets to do that? That's yeah. why. Yeah. So, and there's a million other stories like that that like it takes like talking about it forever to, to bubble up. But like, got a million stories like uh, that. Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, very thankful for the path and like very thankful to not be in the business anymore straight up <laughs> but it totally like, understand it point like it did run us like i crossed paths with people i dude when's the last time i saw you would it have been probably man i didn't so go to long ago it probably 08 or 08 07 08 but you have relationships like this where it's like you and i talked you know a couple weeks ago and it's like riding a bike yeah like it's very easy because like we connected on a thing that was very deep to both of us. And then this had, this happens all the time to me, like where someone will reach out and be like, dude, let's, let's chat. And it's just like, so simple. Like, yeah, it's pretty it's, cool. Pretty, it's the pretty best, man. It's we had. Yeah. I love people. I love, I love, I love communication and people. And I mean, I just, I throw, I, it's weird. My wife's like an introvert. She loves being around people, but she's an introvert. And I'm, I thrive off of people. I like, I have to like, and it just, it builds me up. Yep. That's why the pandemic got weird. It's because, like, you're not around people as much. Oh, but. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, thank God we're past that. You know, it's I'm, I'm, it's good to be back in a routine and it's healthy, you know, and all that. So, dude, yeah. what a good convo, man. I really appreciate it. And maybe we can do it again sometime, you know, and, ho- you know, maybe do a part two at some point later on. So. Let's do it. I'll give you, like, the real gritty stories. <laughs> The nitty gritty, bro. Hanger, there's your cliffhanger. I'll give you like the real dirt on the real. <laughs> awesome, Colin. Thanks so much for your time, dude. I really appreciate it, man. And it's so good to see you and and reconnect. And I hope uh, things continue to go good for you. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk soon. You as well, my friend. All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon. That's good, dude. All right, buddy. Bye bye. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the latest episode of the Rumors of True podcast. I'd also like to thank Colin Kimball for his valuable, valuable time. Uh, we've been talking back and forth the last couple of weeks about getting this done, so I really appreciate his time. I know he's a very busy man. So it was really cool to reconnect and hear the awesome stories. I've always kind of 
wondered um, about uh, the past and, and the records he's played on and the tours and whatnot. So it's really cool to hear his perspective on that. So thank you again, Colin, and thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Got some really cool upcoming guests coming up. So I really appreciate the support. And uh, hopefully uh, in the future, we'll have some incredible artists that you love. So thanks. Enjoy what you hear. I want to give a shout out to my friends, the Bryans. Thanks to Brian Trummel for the Rumors Are True podcast artwork. And Brian Jaron for music and post-production. 